What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, we're continuing this conversation. How do we stay grounded in a world full of noise and chaos? What are your foundations? And as you listen in, I'm trying to bring you guests that are going to give you an opportunity to identify what your foundations are. You might agree with the guests. You might disagree with the guests. That's not the point. The point is carving out the time and the space to identify what keeps you grounded in this world. Today's guest is Jack Inter. Jack is a retired law enforcement professional, started his career in 1972, served in a lot of different roles, all the way up to police administration, ended up earning his PhD, and has traveled around the world training law enforcement and other leaders how to lead better. I actually had the opportunity to listen to him speak here in the Tri-Cities in 2009. Somewhere in that time frame, my father gave me his book and said, read this. It has great content that's going to make you a better leader. And I couldn't agree more. But before we get into that interview, you know what I want to talk about, folks. I want to talk about Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to our nation's heroes. That's right, the men and women that are returning with war-related PTSD or other injuries, Service Peace Warriors has their back. They're raising all the money, they're training up the service animal and the veteran, and they're equipping the veteran with a great tool of a service animal. Folks, if you haven't checked them out today, please, or if you haven't checked them out yet, please check them out today at servicepeacewarriors.org. Folks, with that, let's get into this interview with Jack Inter. Jack Enter, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate you responding. You know, as a podcast host, I find myself reaching out to folks all the time, and sometimes I don't get a response at all. Uh, and actually, what grabbed my attention was seeing that uh, that you had another book because I really truly enjoyed uh, the your first book, challenging the law enforcement organization proactive leadership strategies. And when I saw another one, I thought, man, I need to reach out to this guy and see whether he'll come on the podcast. Happy to do it. This is a lot easier than getting on a plane and going across. Yeah. You know, we were talking before we hit record about the darn Zoom, and I uh, I hate it, but I love it because it creates these top type of opportunities where I've gotten to meet just remarkable people that have, have shared great perspective with me. Hey, as we get into this, you and I had a number of conversations offline just talking about leadership in general. Uh, one of the things that I find fascinating is, you know, we we want to, I think most people want to be good leaders, but sometimes they just don't know where to start. You know, a lot of times we promote people uh, above their capabilities. We promote them because they mm-hmm. were great detectives, great p- patrol officers, and then we stick them in a leadership role. We throw them the keys and say, the city is yours. Don't break anything without actually providing some type of leadership training. So for those folks out there that want to be effective leaders, whether it be as law enforcement professionals, as moms and dads, husbands and wives, or whatever profession they're in, what's a way that they can stay grounded in reference to just having reality, knowing who they are and right. where they're at? I, I think that, and, and you mentioned the word reality. Uh, we do a good job at the operational level of grounding people in reality. We give them a lot of training, uh, classical training, tell, see, and do. We give them tools. We develop them over the years. We, and more importantly, uh, the most powerful form of training is modeling and peers. We, uh, when you ask people um, what percentage of law enforcement uh, operational people do their job, it's 90%. Well, you've got a very positive peer group. And then on top of that, I think, and a lot of it comes from the peer group, as well as I think your first line supervisor, we hold people accountable. And so it keeps them grounded where they don't go sideways that much. And that's one of the reasons they're 90% successful. Unfortunately, we take those same men and women who do practice two skills, which are to me amazing, given they're not present in much 
They're not much present in the American culture. We give them the ability to communicate to anyone. They, they can walk up to a perfect stranger who has mental health problems or a mother who lost their child of fentanyl and all that, and they can engage and talk to this person in a very effective way. The number, the other thing that they do, and again, this is in a culture where people still live at home when they're 32 years old and want to be a professional gamer. Unlike many people, law enforcement's very decisive. When you send them to do something, they make a decision and they deal with a problem. Why I'm mentioning that is there is leadership, but it's at the operational level. They practice it every day with the American public. And But what we're seeing is that we take those same men and women that have a lot of training, good mentors, good instructors, good peers, and we tell them when they're being a little stupid, and then we promote them. And I asked this in every state that I've gone to, what was the mandated training for law enforcement or you can be somewhat on your own and they say six months to a year. And then I asked the class, I said, and how long did you get trained before they let you take over as a sergeant? And they all start laughing and said, none. That's so critical. And this is the key issue on how, as far as grounding is based on relationships. When you're in the operational level, you're grounded with friends and and people in your lives who will help you and, and assist you. And as you're a young officer, the older officers help you. Uh, when you go over to detectives, even though you've never done it, there's always some senior detectives who come over and help you on your interrogation and, and reports. Um, but at the management level, not only do we not train them, but they were trained by mostly managers who were ineffective, who taught them what not to do, but what, but not to, what to do instead. And without that replacement behavior, uh, basically we throw people into a position where they have no skills. More importantly, they have no positive role models. And this is the thing that keeps us, that makes us not be grounded is people stop speaking to you that you're making a bad mistake, you're mm-hmm. taking this too personal. Yes. And grounding is not this self-awareness issue. It is always based on the fact that men and women around you are care enough about you, what I call speaking truth and helping you. And, and when you're a little discouraged, they say, hey, just keep it up, you can do this. And they also say, you're taking yourself too seriously. Uh, no, you don't need to talk to people like that. And as a result of that, we that's what makes us effective. At the management level, we don't have that. And as I tell people all the time, one of the things that will shock you is when you get promoted is that when you show up as a brand new sergeant, not only did they not train you, no one comes to your office and says, can I help you? Uh, two heads are better than one and all that. So the question is, you ask how to become a leader, attach yourself to men and women who lead, and you're not going to find that many at the management level, but you're, you'll see them at the, um, at the operational level. Watch the way they communicate. Watch the way they deal with issues. Watch the way they develop the new employees who come in. And in a way, you... Try to become the, with the mindset of an, F, of an FTO in some agencies now, which I think is very interesting. And here's a good way to learn how to be a leader. Become an FTO. The behavioral characteristics of an FTO, the first-line supervisor, are almost identical, where you tell people things maybe they don't want to hear, but you show them what to do instead, which is classic mentoring or building skills, and learn from that. And I think the other important thing is once you get promoted, ask for help. They're not going to volunteer to come, but ask and and ask your former peers uh, to help you. Uh, One of my favorite stories, and this is to me, I think, summarizes what makes an effective leader. A brand new sergeant was promoted in a very large agency. And when he came into roll call, uh, no one knew him. He had been in investigations. And... uh, so he walked up in front of the room and 
or sees a sergeant, they don't know him, so they're immediately prejudiced against him. And he said, hey, as you know, I'm your new sergeant. I know most of you don't know me. I'm going to make a promise to you. He says, I will be stupid because <laughs> I've never been a sergeant before. And he said, and so I've got to, I'm going to make a request of you. He said, every time you see me be stupid, say something. Uh, and he said, I'm looking at your nonverbals. You're, you're shaking your head. You go, you're saying you're a sergeant. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. He said, yes, you need to. And he said, and I know you don't want to do it. So here's the solution to this problem. I'm going to be stupid in front of multiple people at the same time. (laughs) All of you who saw me being stupid, come and tell me, because you know what leadership looks like. I mean, we intuitively understand it. And you know if I'm taking this too personal, and you know if I'm not making a decision. And so come up to me as a group, as three or four or five people, and say, hey, Sergeant, deal with this issue. Or Sergeant, you're making a bad decision. And, and I remind you, we're in detectives. We've got a lot more experience in uniform. Why don't you let us help you with this? And he said, if you do that, I will be a Sergeant because you won't help, help me become one. He said, if you don't do that, I will be just like every other sergeant we've worked for since we've been here, who's afraid, doesn't know what they're doing. And and it hit me, and I asked the cops who told me this, I said, and he actually did that. He said, yeah. And he said, uh, and we basically uh, saw our job is to help him on a daily basis and, and guide him. And he, they said he is now what most people believe the best sergeant in this very large agency. Everybody wants to come here and work for him. I said, so he's that good? He said, they said, well, we have to tune him up about once a month. So <laughs> I think that's but a good uh... the point. Is, um, this isn't rocket science. We all know we should communicate. We all know we should treat people with respect, but we should also somebody who's not showing integrity and dishonoring the badge needs to be dealt with. Um, but you don't do this alone. And that's what grounds us. Yes. Uh, it taught us that when you're alone, you're not healthy. And it was interesting, the difference between the POW camps in World War II, where the Germans didn't separate all of these airmen, American airmen that they had. Uh, how are you going to break those people? But they learned their lesson. And in Korea and on, they started doing isolation uh, to break their spirit. And we need to learn from that. And that's why when you mentioned the topic of this is is being grounded, it's always going to be based on relationships. Yes. And I'm talking about real relationships, not um, just shallow stuff where we don't say anything when we need to. I'm reminded by uh, a Solomon quote. It's one of my favorite ones. He said, faithful are wounds of a friend. Uh, everybody knows the iron sharpens iron one, but most people have not heard that. But basically Solomon said, if you, if you know you have a friend, because he'll hurt you when you need it. Uh, and again, in that, in that, when you have people have your back all the time, and you think of law enforcement operationally, I was never alone on bad calls. There was always somebody in route to help me. But in the management level, in my entire management career, I only had one person ever offer to help me. And um, and I always appreciate what they did. Because um, most people have no one. And it is all grounding is totally dependent on the power of the group and relationships and all. And we and I know you have worked in units before you ever got promoted where it was just a lot of fun coming to work and everybody gave everybody else crap. And you laughed so hard, you blew Diet Coke out of your nostrils all over this report. And it was it was a great place to be. Managers are alone. And that's that's what makes them so fearful, which is why much of their behavior is fight and flight and freeze uh, the way they handle the job. The way you become a leader is you don't do it by yourself. You books all day long, but if you don't have somebody to help you and hold you accountable and go with you to make those hard just a problem employer or whatever. 
you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. I hear you talking about authentic relationships based on trust, or at least that's what's bouncing around in my head. And it, yeah. it drew me yeah. back to one of the quotes in that first book that you wrote, Challenging the Law Enforcement Organization. You wrote, being effective as a leader involves building others' trust in you. And you cannot build this trust without knowing those that you lead and letting them get to know you in return. A leader understands that he or she can accomplish this task only through proactive and consistent communication, which means cultivating various communication strategies, planned and spontaneous. Yes, you have to communicate. I mean, you think about this in a marriage, you think about this in as a father or a mother with your kids. Trust is a currency of being able to accomplish what you need to do. My my wife, when I was not very, I came out of a normal family <laughs> who wasn't real good at relationships and, and uh, Barbara's family was awesome. And she used to remind me when my kids were little, she said, rules without relationships generally don't work because it means something if you tell them you're disappointed when you've spent a lot of time with them and they know, you know, they know you care. But if you, you only show up, and that's the interesting thing about most law enforcement managers I work for, they only showed up for three reasons. One, they want a favor, they're mad at you, or you're their buddy. And what you, that quote you just made, every leader I've known, no one is threatened when they come walking down the hallway because they do it all the time. And think about what that does because you communicate you know their mother has Alzheimer's yes. you check on them. You know that their wife is in chemotherapy yeah. and they will see how you're doing. They know you just graduated with your master's degree and they make a big deal out of it and want to get a big cookie and bring it to roll call. But that has always been what makes us grounded as a, and effective because again, think of this, you're getting the power of the group, you're getting... I love the great quote, none of us is as smart as all of us are. Yeah. Um, and so what ends up happening is like that sergeant I mentioned, you are supervising with people, not over them. And plus, what are you also doing? You're teaching them how to be a sergeant when you communicate with them. And most, most uh, law enforcement personnel will say they never see anybody, maybe a first line supervisor, but they never see the lieutenant. I never see the captain. And then management complains that law enforcement does, uh, the operational people don't trust them. Well, excuse me, <laughs> you never show up. And the, one of the most common complaints we hear against managers is they forget where they come from. They don't think like cops anymore. Um, they don't come out on the scene unless they're mad. And when we keep spending time proactively with structure. The worst thing you can ever say is sometime this week, I need to go out and talk. Now you have to have a plan pretty much every week, if not every day. But when you come out there, even when it's inconvenient within 10 minutes, you're glad you're out because it reminds you where you come from and people that you have a relationship. Hey, I got to ask Jack how that, that picture you just painted of they never come out. How widespread do you think that is? Because I'm going to tell you, and and I'm not going to just speak of my agency. I mean, I had a, a captain at another agency, which chief, deputy chief captain. I mean, we're talking that, that, and there's only one deputy chief at the agency I'm thinking of. He hits me up and says, hey, I got some officers struggling. Can I meet with you? I know that you, you're involved in peer support. I just want to hear what more I can do, right? His heart. I, I, I have bosses that are showing up consistently. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. And I know I'm certainly not perfect, right? but I see them doing it well here in the Pacific Northwest. I've worked for two different law enforcement agencies at those agencies, a lot of partnerships with neighboring law enforcement agencies. So I always got a little snapshot of chiefs. I was recently invited over to a West Western Washington police agency to come and talk at their, their banquet on, on employee wellness and, Mm -hmm. and the, the, the engagement that I'm watching between their, their command staff first line supervisors and and line level officers was one where I believed they care about each other. So this is my perspective. 
my perspective here in in Washington State. But mm-hmm. but you aren't the only one that I've spoke with that has told me, well, Chris, what you're experiencing isn't normal. If that's what you guys have up there. So what have you seen as you travel both around the country and around the world? I'm I'm, I'm hearing you say that really the snapshot is this huge separation, this this chasm. Absolutely. And not only they lose the relationships, they lose, in a way, a sight of the mission. They're not out there involved in the job. And it's interesting that 90... it's estimated that 90% of managers are not, are not effective, that people don't trust them. And it's because they don't talk. But yet every leader that I've known, and just to give you an example, uh, one of the finest chiefs we had here in the state of Georgia, he retired as a captain with the Atlanta Police Department, showed up in an agency with 850 people. He knew none of them. He walked in the door with an aquarium. You remember the story. I don't know if it was in the book or not. I don't remember. He walked in the first day with an aquarium, and in the aquarium was 850 names of everybody in the agency. He had org charts out, so there was a lottery. Basically had a lottery, and he would uh, pull randomly four out of the all this all these little pieces of paper, and he would call the person and say, hey, this is Lee. And, of course, they'd go, oh, my God, you know, am I in trouble? And he'd go, I don't know. He said, I've been here a week. You've been here 12 years. How would I possibly know if you were in trouble? And of course, the person, cops are suspicious of human nature anyway. They said, so why you call me? He said, you have 12 years experience I don't have with this department. And I want you to come in and brief me on your various assignments. What's working well here? What's not working? Now think about this. So it was four a week, 200 a year. And after four and a half years, he talked to every man and woman pretty much face to face. And they loved him. I mean, uh, when he showed up, it was, hey, and, and he knew about, and plus that fed him because he knew these men and women, not as a people on an org chart, but of people that he actually had a relationship with. Yes. When you, and this is what's interesting, when a department has good communication and relationships between command staff and line. It is such a healthy environment because you you don't come to work wondering when the other shoe's gonna you know fall and all this other stuff. You because you trust them. And if there's a problem, you deal with it. And most departments, and when people complain, and this is sad, but when people complain, I never see my boss. I never see anybody above the rank of sergeant. We hear on the news, some, we're getting ready to start some new program. They didn't tell us. I always tell them this. I said, so your agency's a normal agent. And they start laughing. And that's why when people ask me if I'll come and speak, I'll say, will you, I want you to invite the surrounding agencies too. And they said, you know, to share the cost. I said, well, that's on you if you want to do that. The main reason is, when they sit and talk in the class, they're going to find out the grass is not greener on the other side. And when, when especially when the topic's leadership, and one of the officers on the break talks to an officer in another department, said, "My lieutenant's an idiot." <laughs> uh, the the off, uh, officer from the other department says, "Well, obviously, as a brother, and he works for us. I mean, it, it's we understand that the issue is we. It's normal to not have leadership in management." In law enforcement, and it's very sad, but I want to defend law enforcement. Every profession will tell you the same thing. Yeah. Once people get promoted, they lose touch. And Bill Bennett, the Secretary of Education, and Uvalde um, happened. They asked him what happened. And he said, it's interesting that jobs that are based on a mission, and he used two examples. He said, one, educating children. It's based on a very important mission of investing in these children. He said another one's law enforcement. It is a very important mission. He said, but what he's found is that people, as they get promoted, lose sense of mission and become bureaucrats. Hmm. They lose touch. And if you talk to the average teacher uh, who loves teaching, but you ask them about their administrators, they'll go, they're so out of touch. We never talk. They come up with terrible decisions. When we stop talking to the men and women 
are responsible for. And what, and, and that's a very encouraging what you said about what your experience is, but most people don't have that experience. Yeah. And that's, I think leadership is so powerful when it's practice because it's so rare that people pay attention that you came to the hospital to check on them, that you did this, that you wrote a card to them when they lost their mother. And when people do that, it has such a big impact because as Solomon said, and I quote Solomon a lot, he said, to a starving man, anything tastes good. Most people don't get that. Yeah. Most people do not have that type of uh, attention and relationships with their bosses. And every leader I've seen that is incredibly effective, that is not true of them. They know their people, even if it's, as with Lee, 850 or down to 100 or 300. But, um, and that's why those places are so healthy to work. And I, I, let me just mention this, and I know I'm kind of rattling on here, but I think that's the way we recruit people in the future. And you know who we're going to be recruiting? Certified people. Because when they go to these training programs, and they talk to people at the break and they talk about their problems uh, in their agencies when they hear, oh, we, you know, we're not perfect, but they let you do your job there. It's a good place to work. People are hunting for that. They will do their job in spite of leadership. This is very important. This is what makes managers look good when they're not. We have a strong organizational uh, operational culture who will do their job in spite of us. And if you look back on your career, and almost every police officer, if you had a, sergeant, a lieutenant who was an idiot or a captain who was an idiot, you just did your job. And normally your peers supported and said, let's just do our job. Don't don't worry about what's happening up in the captain's office. Just do your job. Well, what happens is we've become used to not having leadership in the management level. But I do think when it actually happens, it has such a revolutionary impact on these people because they go, wow, this is so amazing. I tell you what, um, if, if you do this well, uh, by, and again, but not alone, have men and women that make you follow through into everything. Yeah. You will have an amazing career because basically, if you think about it, you'll be a police officer who also happens to be a lieutenant or a captain, or even a chief, or a sheriff, and and it keeps you grounded, as the title of your podcast there, and then when you leave, um, you will see people celebrate a life that made a difference, and most managers don't have that. Yes. Most managers don't do that. That's why I've not seen much of a change in 50 years. We're still here in the same complaints that I heard in 72, I did 10 management studies 20 years ago where I interviewed over a thousand people and asked them what the problem was. And I just did two recently. The problems were identical to what I heard 20 years ago. Hmm. And it's all about communication, a lack of dealing with problem employees, a lack of encouraging people who are going above and beyond favoritism. You know, you say you have a policy, you can't be a detective until you've been there for three years. And the major's nephew just transferred over there last week after he's not even off probation. Yeah. Leadership is so needed. But but again, we have men and women who will do it in spite of us. Yes. And why if your people are doing your job, that doesn't mean necessarily you're being a leader. How you know you're a leader is everybody wants to spend time with you and you want to spend time with them and they all and they all congratulate you when you got promoted and they all tell you that they're sorry that your mom passed away. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what makes us grounded. And uh, when we look back on our life, it was a good one. You know, one thing I've seen, especially over the last couple of years, well, no, I think it's my entire, my entire existence, especially as a dad. I have four daughters mm-hmm. and I have fallen victim that makes it sound like it's not my fault. I have fallen victim to making decisions based on fear, making decisions yeah. based on emotion. 
how do we make, how do we do a better job of making decisions based on principle instead of based on emotions? When we are making a hard decision, we are naturally going to be emotional and not necessarily objective. That's why whenever that happens, you ask people around you to say, what's the right thing to do on this? Yeah. And it's interesting. Again, I'm throwing Solomon quotes left and right. He said, with a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Yes. That basically, um, why, why are they objective? Because this isn't going to come back to bite them. <laughs> so, and we all know what the right thing to do is. And I think it was Norman Schwarzkopf said, we all know what the right thing to do is doing it. That's hard. And the issue is we know what to do, but we're afraid. And especially in the management culture, which is a warrior class culture, but the management culture is paralyzed by fear. But what makes this work is that when you have, again, people helping you to apply what we all know, but in the emotions, we don't want to do it. But, but as I, and I love, they just keep asking you the question, but, but what's the right thing to do? Yeah, but if I do this, um, you know, I'm, the captain's going to be mad. Uh, captains come and go. What is the right thing? And basically what they're doing is bringing you back to reality of what people expect. And every time we make emotionally based decisions, there's a high probability that you're going to get in trouble. You mentioned your daughters, even with your spouse, that when you know that you're a little upset on this and you want to, you know, come down hard, sift it through your spouse and say, what do you think here? Absolutely. And they, uh, they will, because they, they, and, and it's interesting in good relationships and marriage kind of counter each other, train some weaknesses. And so what ends up happening is you make a good decision and plus your spouse appreciates the fact that you want their input on this. And, uh, and I've also seen this, that as the kids get older, ask them, say, well, how would you handle this if you were me? Yes. You know, how would you handle this? You know? And and what you're also doing, think about this, you're teaching them to be a parent. And again, modeling is always the most powerful in the training. But emotions, uh, anytime you see a check engine light or you feel your check engine light, you need to take a breath and get somebody to help you make a logical decision. Uh, you always have to sift things that are tough decisions through other people, or you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. My wife and I have reached out to our parents. We have trusting relationships with our parents. And when, when we're both emotional, when we know that both of our amygdalas are triggered on this one for whatever reason, we'll reach out to them. And they've done a really good job of making sure that, that we have perspective before we step into this deep conversation with our child. And then when we translate that over to work, right? Every mentor, every mentor that I have in my life right now, I have, I have pursued them. Now they've been, they've reciprocated, right? They've reciprocated by mentoring me, but, but I found I don't have my mentors chasing after me because most of them are busy in life, leading their families, their workplaces, their nonprofits, churches, whatever it might be. And I do do the same thing. I go to my bosses, I go to my mentors, that I trust. And I, I, Hey, I got a tough one here. What do you think? Right. Right. Again, the quote, none of us is as smart as all of us are that again, they, and it's kind of like, and you know, before we had spell check and stuff, you always had somebody proof your material. Yes. Uh, and when they show it to you, you go, no way I meant this. Yeah. But that's not what you said. And because they're reading what you wrote, not what you think you wrote. We all need C&I dogs because when we're being blind to what that we're taking this too seriously or we're being a gutless coward or whatever. And when people do that, uh, like that sergeant, that major department, we don't make those stupid decisions. And what we're also doing is learning that skill of vetting things before you make a decision. But again, and I want to keep pushing this. As many people as getting promoted right now out of the operational ranks, you're also teaching them how to be a supervisor. Yes. Good modeling. When most of us had very poor modeling when we first came in law enforcement. 
So you're equipping men and women for the future in a in a radically changing law enforcement culture when it comes to people departing and retiring. Uh, and we're having a lot of brand new supervisors that are being thrown into positions when it used to take 12 years to be a sergeant, now it's four. And so uh, that kind of stuff. One thing I found that's so critical here is we have to, it has to be okay to fail. I mean, we don't want to fail at the big stuff, right? I don't want to violate people's constitutional rights. I don't want to break the law. However, I, it has, the culture has to be safe to fail. If I'm going to go to my boss, if my, my folks are going to come to me and look at me and either one confess a failure, Hey boss, I screwed something up. All right. Hey, let's talk about how to fix this. Or two, how about me going to my bosses and saying, Hey boss, I saw something yesterday. Can I tell you about it? Meaning they messed something up. Right. And if we don't have these cultures, because you talk about one of the things that you that you and I talked about previously was what the military calls respectful insubordination. But unless it's safe to fail in our organization, we can't we can't admit our own failures and we can't have respectful insubordination Absolutely. because it's not safe. Right. And the you know I I remind people that the rarest and probably one of the finest human. Um, characteristics is humility when you don't take yourself so seriously. But I think it's also interesting. There's a very similar word called humiliation that if you do not learn from other people, have them help you make hard decisions, you will be humiliated later because if you don't listen to other people and you're stiff necked about it, you are going to get in serious trouble. And, and that's the warning. But if you let people, and I tell people this in presentation, I, I think they look at me like, no way. I said, if you have, make sure you're in, it's a normal practice to check with people you're, you can trust. Say, am I on the right track? Or am I seeing this correct? And by the way, do you mind sitting in on this confrontation? I said, you'll never make a, a serious mistake. You'll, now you'll get in trouble for doing the right thing, which is unfortunate. Um, in some organizations, the old thrown under the bus, but it is, there's a huge difference between getting in trouble for being stupid or unethical versus getting in trouble because you did the right thing and stood up and showed courage and did the right thing. And especially in this li- liability environment, if you, if you stood up and did the right thing, you may end up getting thrown under the proverbial bus. But when people come in objectively, to try to deal with what happened, they're gonna not come after you because you did the right thing. They're going to be, they're gonna hold people accountable who made emotional decisions, got themselves in trouble. Yeah. Hey Jack, I, I genuinely enjoyed your first book. I've actually quoted it in Police One articles that I've authored. Tell us about your second book, the more, more recent one. What's the title and what is kind of, what was the thesis of the book? Right. The, the first book, a challenging book, which just came out in an updated version in October. And all I had to change, and it was interesting, uh, some agencies say, were saying, we'd love to use this promotion, but we have a requirement if it's not within the five, last five years, we're not allowed to use it. So I sat down and I went through the original book that you just held up. But the principles hadn't changed. Uh, I had to change some technological terms like don't use words called pager, that what's kind a, of stuff. What's a pager? <laughs> overall, yeah, but overall, it was all the same. What I did in the new book, I talk about leadership failure and all these other things in communication, but what bothered me, and I think what was a kind of a powerful moment in my career is when I understood that the elephant in the room on why managers fail is because they don't know their family. Mm. They believe they're doing fine because of a lack of accountability and other things. Um, and that, and what drove this, and this is going to sound crazy, but it hit me uh, about 20 years ago. And I've been doing leadership training since 84 that no one was benefiting from my training programs because I was meeting the subordinates of people I had trained and they were going, 
my boss loves your presentation and he's the worst person in the world. And then the, the big moment was when I walked in a room and the three worst managers I ever worked for were sitting in the classroom. And I was in such shock. I mean, I looked like I'd seen a plane crash or something. Coordinator pulled me aside and he said, what's wrong? I said, the three worst managers are in the room. He said, so what's the problem? I said, half of my illustrations are sitting in the room. And he started laughing. He said, but you don't use names. You know what I told him? And I believe this. I said, they're going to know I'm talking about. And at the end of eight hours, it was a lesson in self-deception that they never saw themselves in. So let me tell you what. So this is why I wrote the new book. When I got recalled to active duty after 9-11, I was on active duty for a year. I was sitting at the law enforcement training center in Brunswick. And I was thinking, why, why is my is leadership training not working? Uh, and one thing hit me is I'm at this training center where I see a U.S. Fish and Wildlife guy a man fishing in a red man outfit because there's going to be a fight on the side of the road to see if he really gets how to handle people who have mental health problems, the range, the driving range, raid houses, and everything else that were true training things that how you train people is you convince them first they can't do this and then, you know, you have to train them to do it. So what I did as I sat there, I said, why I'm not helping anybody is because they don't see themselves as failing. So I started, and this is to me the most important slide I have in my presentation. We have, you know, when I talk about how operational is effective, management is generally ineffective. You watch all the affirming nonverbal, yes, yes, my boss is an idiot. You know, and you see, it's almost like those pitchforks and like I say, torches moment. Yeah. And then at the at the it's usually right before lunch. I said, I need you to finish this sentence. I've been talking for four hours. I'm tired of it. I said, what percentage of managers are failing? They'll say 90%. I said, okay. So I said, so we have uh so I need your input. I need to hear what you have to say is the problem. I want you to finish this sentence. Uh most managers fail to practice leadership because I said, write something after because write the reason. And I started doing that. And they all said probably 20 different reasons. They were not trained, you know, they're afraid and all that. But they didn't realize I was not hunting for the reason. I was hunting for their pronoun. That was the first word after because. And even though 90% of managers are failing, how did they end the sentence? Well, they don't do this and they don't do that. Instead of we. We. And they is a pointing word. Yes. I'm not the problem. Yeah. And that's why I think the most important thing to be grounded, and I love the word that you decided to choose as the foundation of this. The most important way that we ground ourselves is we understand that we need people to hold us accountable and practice respectful insubordination. That our natural, and if anybody knows human nature, it's law enforcement. And it's interesting, we all don't, we don't trust people. We, we've seen the worst of humanity. We don't trust people, but we trust our individual view of ourselves. Mm. And we see our sergeants being selfish. We see the captain's an idiot, but we don't see we do the same thing. Uh, I love a great quote. He said, when we look at other people, we have 20-20 vision. When we look at ourselves, we're looking at a carnival mirror distorted by our pride. Uh, carnival mirror. So here's my point. So what do we do about that? Uh, you have other people in your life, as you said, which is the reason the military is much better at this than we are. They practice respectful insubordination. And I watched in my military career senior enlisted people rip officers because they cared for them. That's the key. Yes. And they cared for the unit. And what ended up happening, it kept bringing those officers back to reality. That you're making an impulsive decision. You're reacting personally. You're not reacting based on, you know, logic. 
And what ends up happening is the way that we're always going to lead and be a good father or a good mom or a great spouse is when we have people in our lives just remind us, it's not about you. I love the great quote, it's, it's not our party. We've just been invited to the party. And pride has always been the enemy of relationships and of a leadership especially. And when you think you're special, you're in trouble. And that's why you have to have respect for it, because it is the default position of human behavior. And when we train our children, when we train cops to not be just about themselves, it's still there buried. And when you let off that accountability, which is what happens when you get promoted, and especially when you found out you got that memo and said 14 people took the test and you and one other one were the only ones that passed the test. What's the natural reaction? Well, you know, I'm, I guess I'm smarter than most people. Uh, <laughs> I'm whether a you're genius. Yeah, the crown has come back on your head. I tell people to get a Burger King crown and stick it on their bookshelf and say, that's the enemy. But respectful insubordination. And, and it is true. And I saw it much uh, more practice in the military than I did law enforcement. I was part of a incident where I had to turn my commanding officer over um, for something he did that I saw a dozen times in law, which was taking credit for other person's work. I didn't want to say anything, but when the person that should have gotten the award kept asking me, why didn't I get my award? I had to say something. And I'll be honest with you, I had no expectation that he was going to be dealt with because he was a water walker. I mean, he uh, overall a very nice guy, but um, he, everybody loved him. He looked the part. Navy pilot, that kind of stuff. And I was shocked at how the admirals came down on him because he betrayed the trust of his people. Yeah. And he was forced to retire. And as I sat there, that was the difference. That this is all about the people below us, not about us. Yes. And the military does a better job at that. And to keep uh, the commands... Manders are grounded because they have people and especially senior enlisted. That is their primary role, practicing respectful and subordination to their office. Like it. Hey, Jack, if people, if this is the first time someone's heard your name, what is the best ways for people to follow you? I have a website. It's simple. It's www.jackenter.com. And, um, on it is seven podcasts that summarize my presentation. Uh, I'm a techno idiot and a, and a young man who was my friend reminded me, and it's interesting, this was before COVID. He said, uh, he said, listen, he said, this isn't the way people are gonna be trained in the future. Well, let's be honest, you're old, you're gonna die one day and won't be able to do this. And so he said, let's do a podcast. And he said, I said, I had no idea what that is. He said, I know how it is. And we it was funny because we sat in our laundry room here at my house because acoustics were good in because it's a small room. And we recorded these seven podcasts. But here's my point. It gets the message out without very easy. And this is the way young men and women learn. And I think most people learn that. And I was sort of reminded by a friend, 70% of the people coming into the academy have not read a book since they got out of college. And but this is how podcasts, LinkedIn, all those other things that people learn. So it's it's there. The books are there. Um, summaries of the training are there. And so that's the best way to reach me. I love it. And for listeners, go ahead and look down in the show notes. All of those links will be down there. Jack, time is my greatest commodity. I can't make more of this stuff. And you have given me an awful lot of yours. Thank, oh, thank yeah. you, sir. Well, I, 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 I closed my new book with this comment. I said, we have, since I've been in, associated with law enforcement, we've had men and women do their job in spite of us. But it creates a, a lot of internal drama in the workplace. It's actually the number one stressor in 
for law enforcement is the internal drama of what's going on. And I closed with a statement. I said, wouldn't it be nice if they didn't have to do that anymore? That they had leaders who went with them, spent time with them, were willing to help them handcuff this prisoner. And I said, "Let there's enough pressure outside. But if they know they come back to a safe place, because we're all one family, and I and I mean that sincerely, that and it's safe to say something when you need to say something and everything. It takes away, I think, the biggest impediment to this profession. And we can withstand any attack from outside as long as we have people in the building who always have our backs, unless we're being stupid and they confront us or unethical or whatever, and they cut the legs from under us. But as long as we, uh, we will do our jobs, but at what price? And that's what we're seeing uh, when we see that problem cynical employee feels betrayed um, and all that. When, if that went away, I think you couldn't drive people away from your agency and you would have lots of people want to come work with Because this, I do believe it's one of the greatest professions in the United States. It's the second most respected in the United States to this day, only passed by the American military. Well, I think that is a great way to end it. Again, Jack, thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, what did you think of Jack Enter's perspectives? I hope you enjoyed. Hey, folks, Jamie and I are wanting to hear from you. How can we do better here on the podcast? There's a few different ways for you to communicate back to us. First and foremost, please follow us on whatever podcast platform you're consuming this on. That will cause the next episode to come up. Also, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, you can rate and review us. Go to our main page. There's five stars waiting there. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating that will increase our viewability on those platforms. However, folks, you've heard me say it. Those are your stars. If we haven't earned five stars, keep them. Shoot me an email instead at chris at gravityct.com. Let us know how to make better future Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Let's go out and take care of the people in our tribe. Take care. God bless.